On this simulcast of the Diesel Punk Podcast and the Federal Chronicles Radio Show, John Pica, Larry Emya, and I, Eric Fisk, discuss the fourth and final season of Man in the High Castle from Amazon Prime, and how these episodes made Man in the High Castle become one of the best science fiction series of all time. As good as the Battlestar Galactica reboot on the Sci-Fi Channel? Maybe so. But first, John, Larry, and I catch up on life in general and discuss how so many diesel punks seem to love the same things such as film noir, true crime, and more. Don't forget to find the Diesel Punk Podcast everywhere you get podcasts such as Apple's iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, and more. And you can find The Fedora Chronicles on our website, thefedorachronicles.com, with pop culture and current events through the perspective of film snobs and diesel punks, with topics ranging from true crime, paranormal, conspiracies, and more. Look for The Fedora Chronicles and The Diesel Punk Podcast on social media, such as Twitter and Facebook. Once again, it's The Diesel Punk Podcast, Fedora Chronicles, Man in the High Castle Series Roundup. Stay tuned. All you Hepcats, cool kittens, diesel-powered disciples are cool. I jumped right in there, Eric. How you like that? I just love the way that you just take control whenever there's a microphone in front of you. <laughs> it is my nature. It sure it is. is uh, it's in my DNA. And for all of our listeners, you are listening to a simulcast of the Fedora Chronicles and the Diesel Punk Podcast, and of course you recognize Eric Fisk's voice, but Eric, I'm so super excited. I I am jazzed for this. I'm jazzed for Be- this for two reasons. You go ahead first. Because joining us through the magic of the internet, the co-founder, the Diesel Pope, the professor of Diesel Punk the one, the only, the man, the myth, the legend returns, and the crowd goes crazy for Larry Emyet! Hey, 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 it is great to be back. Thanks for that welcome, Johnny. That was really cool. <laughs> John's you a- know, just, just came to me. John's in a good mood tonight. Actually, I'm in a crappy mood. Oh, okay. So, oh, I'm, so. I'm in a combative mood. All right. Not oh. with you guys, but, you okay. know... When, when, when I get a little bit on edge, you know, maybe I'm at my best when I'm on edge. Yes, you are. So, so uh, yeah, I'm on uh, I'm on edge tonight. So, uh, listeners, beware. Yeah. I cannot be held responsible for anything I say or do. And and that, that makes for great pod. That's the thing right there. Because when you are edgy, it just, I, I don't even, I don't even know how to describe it. It, it, there's a, there's an energy, there's a spark, a crackle, there's a there's a tension in the air, and it was just like I'm like get him, get him, Johnny, get him, get him. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, so I um let me let me just do a little just self promotion here, uh, because I I, I I really wanted to start the show with this 
before we get to the topic du jour. One of the things, right. one of the things I have noticed, and if I'm wrong, tell me. One of the things that I've noticed that our fans all have in common that love, they love diesel punk. They love classic film and film noir. And I just realized this very recently. They also like true crime and unsolved mysteries. And maybe, mm-hmm. maybe the realm of the paranormal. Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree completely. I, I would agree with that. Um, you know, uh, I've always been fascinated in the paranormal, specifically cryptozoology. Yeah. Um, but you know, I've, you, you and I have talked about this, Eric, I've had my own experiences with UFOs and, uh, for the last six months, I've been leading tours of downtown Nashville, uh, doing haunted pub tours taking uh, groups of people around to the haunted locations in Nashville. And, you know, before six months ago, I didn't know really what I believed. But in the last six months, I've been touched, pushed, grabbed, and scratched, and not by desperate women looking for a date. I would have to say, John, that probably only 10% of them are because you know look i I don't swing that way john but you are an attractive man you got to give yourself that so probably give yourself some credit it probably is 10 percent um randy women can can you give yourself that i I, maybe okay all right (laughs) Oh, that's great because one of the things that I have also started since uh, since we last spoke is I'm doing a series of episodes for my podcast called True Crime One on One, where I sit down and I interview people who do um, investigative journalism into true crime, true crime authors and true crime podcasters, and I I'm I'm amazed at how nice and friendly these people are. Um, not friendly as the ghosts that you've encountered. I haven't had my butt pinched yet. Um, but it's, it's still, it's probably still on the horizon, but it's something that's, I, I, I'm excited about the things you're doing just as much as, as I'm excited about what I'm actually, I'm more excited for you, John. I'm, I, I, when I, I love your new, I love your outfit. I love the energy that you're putting into these uh, ghost pub crawls. Everything you're doing is magic right now. And I got to ask you, what's your secret? What's new? What's changed? Necessity. There you go. Um, so, you know, I, I shared this. I've shared with this with you quite a bit. Right. Larry, you've not been in the loop as much, but for the last... I don't know, 16, 18 months, I've been under pretty vicious attack from the local, a small group, but very vocal group of people in the Nashville community, in the con scene, you know, in the geek culture community, in the burlesque scene. And they they went after me at work, uh, got me fired from a job. They got me uh, uh, dropped from my publisher, Pro Se. Uh, productions they dropped me um and uh now they've gone after me at house of cards and uh when i lost that day job in 
I guess it's been May now, and there's been other stuff that has happened and, and, you know, calamities that have arisen out of their voxing campaign of me. But when I lost that day job, I needed to find something to make extra money to, you know, because unemployment only pays so much. So uh, a friend of mine was leading these ghost tours and she said, hey, why don't you come do these for a couple of weeks until you find something else? Uh, You'd be great. And so I did. And I thought, okay, this is going to be a couple of weeks. And turned out I loved it. And I stayed on and I got inspired. Um, You know, out of out of tragedy can come great inspiration. Uh, And so I got inspired uh, and uh, started writing again the second volume of the new Tales from the Decoverse. Um, You you know, we announced this a couple of months ago, uh, Eric. Yeah. Uh, Tales from the Decoverse was initially going to be, uh, you know, just an anthology, but it's going to be so much more than that. Uh, The shared deco punk diesel punk universe um and uh i've got a new publisher uh we're gonna finalize everything this week and uh so i got inspired to start writing volume two of my own series that will be part of the tales from the deco verse series of books and uh as i was writing it these you know paranormal experiences kept coming to the forefront and um they they snuck into the book and all of a sudden i had written a story that will end volume two but will be the beginning of volume three with a new timeline created the league of impossibilists are the premier peacekeeping force on the planet and um Throughout the day-to-day operations, a, 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 tie, a chronal rift opens and outsteps a future version of my character who has obviously come from a post-apocalyptic future and is wielding a lot of magic paraphernalia. And um, you know, my character says to my character, hey, who are you supposed to be? Big, Big Daddy Voodoo? And... Uh, <laughs> And he he clocks himself and uh, says to the rest of the impossibilists, the veil has been torn wide open. Cthulhu is rising. Follow me. And that's how the second chapter or second volume of the series is going to end. Wow. That sounds cool, Johnny. Yeah. Pretty awesome. So so pretty awesome. Yeah. So the, 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 the inspiration of necessity or necessity brought about inspiration, and that's that's what I'm doing. And you know what's really funny, Eric, is that when all of this really went down, starting in March, is kind of when everything came to a head, I threw my hands up and I said, all right, screw it. I'm out of the geek community. I'm yeah, not doing this yeah. anymore. Yeah. And uh, lo and behold, people are calling me more now to come – entertain MC and do panels at their cons than ever before. Yeah. It's the weirdest thing. I think if I can speculate, 
if I can if if I can uh, speculate on a hypothesis here, um, sure. I um I think it was I think it was last year or the beginning of this year I wrote about toxic fandom, and yes, and uh, how it's there's never been a better time to be a fan of um geek stuff, nerd stuff, as it were. There's never been a better time to be a geek. Why are we so angry? Why are why, how can we hate everything? And it was and not only that is that you have to hate everything for the right reasons as well. Or there's going to go be there's going to be people who's going to go on a campaign to get you removed from uh, the 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 nerd groups. And you've posted some some things that um, have been controversial. Your honest, genuine opinion about how toxic fanboys and a few toxic fangirls are ruining fandom, only to find yourself suspended or banned from some of these groups. So one of them, I think, you even started, and I became a. That's right. I became a bit of a pariah when I started to to mention. I've I've made some observations on what's killing fandom, and I've been threatened from, um, uh, from being kicked off of these groups. I said I and I here's the thing I didn't make the public announcement the way you did. I didn't say to everybody, "No, I'm done with this. I'm done." I just quietly left. And I am, I am like every day, and this is this is not a joke. This is not an exaggeration. Every day I get somewhere between three to five invitations back into some of these groups, and and maybe twice, three times a week, I'm invited to moderate or admin some of these groups where I have said, toxic fandom is ruin is ruining fandom. I, I and I, I think the worm is starting to turn. I think that I think that people are starting to look at toxic fans, and they've they've really sort of had enough. Yeah, I I I think there is definitely a realization now that it is a problem. And you know, Larry, you've not been part of these conversations over the last six months, but you know, our friend um, Mr. Sakovich. Sakovich, yeah, yep. Sakovich or Sakovich? I think it's Anthony Sakovich. Yes. Yeah, um, and w- w- was he a Steamposium or Steampunk World's Fair? Um, he was Aethertopia. Aethertopia. Yeah. He was a victim of of his own groups turning on him and doing the Julius Caesar to him. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you know we've seen Vic Magnana, the voice actor. Yeah. Just pummeled uh in in the public eye over false allegations and lo and behold i've i've heard from other people now that it's happening to them just this past weekend i was the guest on a very popular star wars podcast about two million listeners and um I, i found out that they have experienced the same thing even to the loss of sponsors and um, being blacklisted among certain circles. And it's just insane. 
It's insane. Yeah, listen, if you don't like someone's opinion, just turn it off. Go find something else. You don't need to campaign to cancel someone and and affect their livelihood. You're messing with my coins. You're you're messing with my family's uh you know, ability to thrive and survive. You're taking food out of my kid's mouth. And if you think I'm going to just lay down and let you do it, you got another thing coming. Well, you first of all, you know that you have a friend in me and there's a lot of us who support you. And if for whatever reason you have to name names, na- name names. But I'm also going to tell you, John, I th- I think that you've I think that you've been more than fair with these people. I think that you have I think you've been too nice. And well, here's the problem. Here's here's the problem, Eric. They they've attacked me through fake profiles, anonymous email accounts. Um, you know, I don't have any hard proof on who the specific people are. I have a general idea, but I can't prove it. And that's what we're working on right now. Yeah. I've got uh, I've got some investigators involved and uh, my attorney my attorney is now involved and um, there are two people that we know that did post publicly that we've got screenshots of and um, we're going to put the screws to them first uh, in hopes that they will Turn over the rest of the cohorts. Good for you. Yeah. Um, because I and, get, and when and when the time is right, I will name names. Um, one of the things that I, I also wanted to add here, um, as far as far as Vic Manana is concerned, um, yes. As a disclaimer, I I have no idea what really happened. I have no, I have no clue. I've never met Vic. I, ha, I I've never spoken to him. I know so little about anime. It's not even funny. Um, I I am familiar with Vic's work with his. Is it is it uh, uh, Star Trek continues? Yes. It's one. Yeah, I'm familiar with his work. And I, I liked what he did with Star Trek continues. Um, but for whatever reason. I, and mostly it's because of you. I have I followed the, this case and I've watched the depositions. The problem, the entire problem that I have with this, I, I I've I've heard I've heard claims about Vic. I have no idea if they're true or not. And we've been I, and I'm giving Vic the benefit of the doubt. And here's the reason why: I watched one of his accusers. Um, and her deposition that was released on YouTube, she's really having way too much of a good time with this. She's laughing, she's smiling, she's giggling, she's tee-heeing. <laughs> and, you, and on the other side, you see Nick, uh, Vic, in his deposition, he is destroyed. He's distraught. He is like genuinely remorseful. And, 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 I, and I've said this in other, one mistake does not mean that you get deplatformed forever. 
you should not be ruined forever because of a mistake or a few mistakes. We are all human beings. I'm telling you, the people who are accusing us of doing stuff without even doing anything, all I am, look, I'm a, I'm a big mouth. I am, I'm opinionated. I have something to say and I've said it and I'm, and I'm a bad guy. You, in your situation where you were, you had an opinion, you stated an opinion. I had, the accusations against you are ridiculous. I have known you for a couple of years and I was a big fan of your work for years before that. I have never heard anything about you that is at all below board. There's not a single person who has, has, has come forward to me and said anything about you that's negative. Now, there are other people, and here's the thing, you met, we, we've, I think we spent way too much time about on this last year and earlier this year. People came to me through the steampunk community and they told me about a certain individual and what he was doing. People volunteered information to me about what um, uh, a steampunk Harvey Weinstein was doing. If you, if you have done what you, people have said that you have done. Don't you think people would have told me about this beforehand? I don't know. I don't know if I've lost you guys. No, no. Um, I, I was waiting to see if that was a rhetorical question. No, is it? But here's the thing. People, people volunteer information to me. Johnny. People volunteer yeah. information to me because of my work with the steampunk community, the diesel punk community, the film noir community, the, now the true crime community, not a single person has said, hey, Eric, this is something that you ought to know about your friend, John. Not a single person. But in the steampunk community, even before the accusations that were posted on the Owl Eye View blog, I was hearing about this other guy in the steampunk community and the horrible things that he was doing that ranged from sexual harassment, possible sexual assault, and... Um, malfeasance in, in in the in 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 the business in the in the convention community. Um, I would have thought that if you were if you had actually done these things that these people are accusing of, I would have heard about it sooner. Well, I just stated an opinion and stood up for someone that I thought was wrongly accused, and that was enough to get me uh, get a target on my back. But anyway, we're not here to really talk got, about that, though. No. Yeah. Yeah. We got bigger fish to fry. Yeah. So um, I think that from and, and, from and Larry's and Larry's not here to rehash the past either. No, I think nope. I, I think nope. we put Larry to sleep I have, I feel for a second. For you guys, I'm sorry. You know, I I hit and my heart's going out to y'all. Listen to this. I'm and to be honest with you, though, at the same time, I'm going Oh, thank the gods! I'm not part of the geek community. I have been <laughs> so outside cosplay and conventions for years now, and that, that the more I hear, the less I want to go back. Well, uh, you're a blessed man, Larry. I that yes, I am. Yes, I am. All right, folks. So we are here to talk about season four of. 
the greatest diesel punk sci-fi television series of my lifetime. Is that is that putting it too heavy, too 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 much of a, a broad brush? Um, I am talking, of course, about Man in the High Castle, specifically season four, and um, I'll just tell you guys my. Uh, first observations, and then we can dive into some of the specifics. You know, um, I had a love-hate relationship with this show through seasons one, two, and three because I loved it, but I hated it because of the way it made me feel. Yes. Mm. Uh, Because I I liked John Smith a Mm. lot. I found myself rooting for him. I found myself relating to him and having to continually tell myself, wait a minute, he's a Nazi. Mm-hmm. And um, and this season, I never felt like that once. Right. Mm. I, I did not really, I, I had no love for John Smith this season. And, and you know, it's, it really comes to fruition in episode nine. And well, even- let me let me interrupt. Before, okay. I, I don't want to be rude. I okay. want you to finish your thought. Please hold that thought. Listeners, there's going to be spoilers out the wazoo in this episode. Yes. yes so if thank you, you haven't man. finished it, if you haven't finished it, uh might want to consider I don't want to tell you to go away, but you might want to go away <laughs> and and come back and join us after you finish it. Because unless you don't mind having spoilers. Just FYI, heads up, there's your trigger warning. Now let's go back. <laughs> Continue, Johnny. I want to so, hear your Episode nine, and, and we'll talk about the big turn. In episode nine, the whole time I'm thinking to myself, you know, uh, as they're, you know, preparing to pounce on Smith in Berlin, I'm thinking, how in the world is he going to get himself out of this? Mm-hmm. And and the the end result is what I predicted would happen throughout all see all the seasons, but how it happened, I, I really didn't see coming. And, and it really surprised me. Um, but then the final episode, the way it ended, I left me scratching my head. Oh, I thought it was just me. Oh, I'm glad to hear that. And, and <clears throat> you know, the first reaction I had was like, wait a minute, what? And then my second reaction was, wait a minute. Why? Right. And, and we'll, we can talk about that more as, as we get there. I don't want to mm-hmm. shoot the whole wad, but right. uh, Larry, what was your impressions of season four? Well, okay. Um, I, you know, you mentioned about um, not liking John throughout and feeling bad because they made you like John uh in seasons one through three i thought this really brought the humanity back to john how he's been in denial and we saw that with the flashbacks to 46 yes and um that night in the barracks uh or in there on the uh on base housing with him and his uh wife uh and the two and the one that ended up being jewish 
And then when he passed him in the van and he was being taken away and John's reaction and even more so when John came to the alternate reality. I don't know if it's ours, but it's an alternate reality and met that same friend and how it just ripped him apart the guilt of what he did and has been doing all these years. I, I thought that was great, and that, that made a lot of sense with um, his journey from beginning to end. Um, I thought that was really good. I thought the West Coast was believable, how the uh, West the Pacific states got freed. I thought that was really, really good because I was going, how are they going to get this out? I mean, why would they leave? But Japan really had a very narrow agenda with attacking the U.S. And uh, that was very much in keeping with the prince um, in character, the uh, emperor. That was very much in keeping with him and, uh, and the uh, princess. Uh, knowing them, knowing the details of history, uh, I, but like you, I, I loved the last episode. And, oh, and before they get that episode nine, I, uh, I'm about to jump into that too. I'm not going to go there. We'll save that. So anyway, my impressions. I loved season four. Um, I loved season four, and I loved the development of the characters um, throughout it. Um, Eric, what's your thoughts? What do you think about season four? I thought there's an aspect to season four that I thought was a little rushed because they had so much to do and um, in such a short time to do it. I sort of felt like the pacing of this season was much faster than the previous seasons, which I mean, and, and I loved and I adored. The thing that mm. I think I think that is important for people to realize is that with the first three seasons, we really never understood how um, John Smith became a became a Nazi. Other than there was only one flashback in one of the previous seasons where John Smith and his wife were, um, you know, in a hotel in a suburb. Was it? A, I'm not sure if it was a hotel or it was in, in in one of the barracks, one of the officer barracks in one of the suburbs of Washington D.C. And um, and they see the atomic bomb go off over Washington D.C. that essentially ended the war. And mm -hmm. and that's and that's all we saw of John Smith's past. I think that's really sort of the only flashback that we had. We never actually saw the process. What was the decisions that were made? Why did John decide to join the Nazis and become the leader of the American Nazis in all of Man in the High Castle? And in this season, this season relied very heavily on the flashbacks of John mm. and what happened to John after the dropping of the atomic bomb and the choices that they had to make to merely survive after America lost World War II in this alternate reality. And, and, and his decisions was, and I don't want to, I don't want to overstate this because this was this was a huge part of the theme of this season. 
you, you, you make one bad decision, it takes you on a road, it takes you on a path, and you don't know how to get down, you don't know how to get off that path. Mm-hmm. You don't mm-hmm. know, you don't know how, you don't know, you made this one decision and here you are and you're, and, and you're, you're on the speeding locomotive and you know this, this locomotive is going, is going to crash eventually, but you don't know how to get off the train. And it just gets faster and faster. You get swept up on it. And then you're like, sort of like, you get into this delusion. This train's not going to crash. This ride's going to last forever. And, and, and this also alludes to what also happens later in this episode, where the people around him are forced to, his family, his wife and his daughters, are forced to make decisions that people shouldn't have to make. They, he was, he was, he, he put his family into the, the situation they're in. And one of the things that I had, and I, and I spoke about this in the, the podcast before Thanksgiving on the Fedora Chronicles radio show, because uh, Jason and I had talked about this a little, whereas sometimes dads get so hung up in building legacies for their kids they forget to have relationships with their kids. Mm. They, and the thing is, they forget the reason why they're doing what it is that they're doing. I bring up my dad. And I, and I brought up my dad and how my dad had, he was obsessed with this idea of, of, become, of becoming a big name and a big shot. He wanted to be somebody important in the realm of electrical engineering and ham radio. And but the thing is, is that he was also a bit of a bum to his kids and his and his two wives, and and I and I, I I'm not saying that my dad was a Nazi, but I did see a lot of my dad in John Smith, or I saw a lot of John Smith in my dad. Whereas I got to do this thing, I'm doing this thing for the family. I'm doing this, and and here's another thing. I also and it, it just had occurred to me. I also saw a lot of Walter White. AKA Heisenberg in John Smith. Whereas you're you're doing, because you're, first of all, you start doing this thing for your family. You got to take care of your family, whether it's joining the Nazi party in this alternate reality after the Germans and the Japanese won World War II, or you're cooking up meth to leave some money behind for your wife and your two kids. And then it gets to the point where you get into empire building. I got it now. I got to build a, an empire. Mm. And and this and and after you forget the original reason. And John Smith forgot about his his family, and he had to go to an alternate reality. Very, I think I'm not, and I'm not convinced that that reality is our reality where John Smith saw the version of himself who became an insurance agent salesman and the best in the region so that he could provide for his family, but he still had time for his family. He could still have a relationship with his son. And with some of the things that his son had said in, in the conversations, what his, son, what his son from the alternate reality, what Abin Gubin Fuhrer's son in, our, quote, our reality said to him saying you taught me about these things matter you taught me that country matters honor matters all these things are important and now you're telling me that it's all bs i don't believe you what happened to you 
And his son from our reality doesn't realize that his dad, and how would he know? His, he didn't realize that his, his dad was not really his dad. It was an alternate reality version of his dad. And um, I, thought, I thought that that was very poignant. And I think that that was a message to dads everywhere about you know, priorities and, 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 and getting, getting your life straightened out, getting your, getting your head on straight. Um, because it's, it would be very easy for any of us to become Aubin Gubenfuhrer or John Smith. Um, and, and here's the thing. The series, the, the, this season was not only about John Smith. And John, do we want? Do you want to talk about um, about uh, yes. Juliana Crane? Well, so uh, actually, while you were talking about John Smith, I was thinking about Chief Inspector Keto. Okay. Oh yes. So so we're, we're dropped into the season one year after the end of season three, and if you'll remember, at the end of season three. Um, John Smith has uh, he's coming in, we think, to interrogate Juliana Crane, but he's coming in to kill her. And she has figured out how to use um, Tagomi's technique of the the uh, what is it? Not uh, the. Uh, uh, oh, what, what is that meditation technique called? The I Ching? Yes. The I Ching. Yes. To, uh, I Ching. I changed the, the, okay, go ahead. But no, correct me, Larry. It's a divination technique. Okay. It's, okay. it's not meditation, but go ahead. But Tagomi figured out how to use the I Ching to teleport, to travel to different dimensions. And Juliana has been studying his writings and his journals. And she finally, at the end of season three, she goes into this meditative state and and just as John Smith pulls the trigger to execute her she she travels to another reality she's still shot in the shoulder but she survives but that's not where this episode started this or the season started with the assassination of Tagomi and it's it's been one year later after that event with Juliana Crane, and uh, Tagomi is assassinated. That's the first thing that happens, uh, which broke my heart to yeah. tell you the truth. Um, he was one of my favorite characters, mm-hmm. and um, that that the actor is just so phenomenal. Um, just loved him, but that sends um, Inspector Keto on really not just a career-changing journey, but a true life-changing journey where he has to question his loyalties. There comes a time where the wrong person is accused of the assassination plot and attempt, and he knows it, and he can either keep his mouth quiet and serve the empire with honor, or he can stand up and say, no, he's innocent. The real killer is you. And um, everything changes on a dime. 
Mm-hmm. But but whereas John Smith did things for his family, basically what John what we see in this season is that all throughout this series, John Smith has been trying to serve his family by advancing himself, by building himself up. And in this season, Inspector Keto realizes that he's put country and duty before his family, and it's failed his sons, one son in particular. And Keto literally, literally sacrifices his own life, trades his life for his sons. And, and it is such a remarkable arc and such a profound change in that character. Um, for those of you who haven't watched it, spoiler alert, uh, Keto's son, who is a uh, decorated war veteran of the campaign in Manchuria, but struggles with post-traumatic stress disorder and just guilt over what they did, finds himself addicted to drugs and in servitude to the Yakuza. And the uh, the leader of the Yakuza, I can't remember his name, but uh, the gangster that we've seen all throughout the series, uh, basically makes a, a bargain with Inspector Keto. And uh, Keto, in exchange for the Yakuza releasing his son to go back to Japan, pledges himself to become the right-hand man of the Yakuza. And uh, to signify his loyalty, cuts off his pinky finger. Uh, anyone who's studied uh, anything about the Yakuza, that's a, that's a very common uh, ritual that shows humility and, and devotion. And, you know, uh, it's... S- kind of half punishment, half initiation. And um, what, a, what a change for him. But um, we're, we're dropped into this season a year later, and what really came out of nowhere for me, Larry, was the the Black Communist Rebellion. Oh. Yeah. Uh, because I, I don't remember them from any other previous seasons, and all of a sudden... Uh, here they are. Now, we didn't get any kind of context or background on how they had formed over the last year. Um, we're just kind of dropped in the middle of their fight and their struggle against the Japanese on the West Coast. Well, that yeah. made perfect historical sense. Again, they really got the West Coast, the whole Pacific states. I thought that was so logical, so realistic as to how it would have because if you think about African Americans during that time, and when you saw what they were studying and where they were coming from and what they were saying, it was very, very much exactly what you would have thought. And it, it was amazing also how they evolved. You know, first they wanted a uh, they wanted a separate autonomous region, right? Uh, just for just for blacks, they were very much black nationalists. By the time the last episode came about, they were multiracial. They were really governing. 
you know, there was one scene where she's standing there and she has one man who's obviously Jewish with his uh, little cap and someone else, an another man, a white man with her, and they were working together. They were no longer uh, this black nationalist group. I thought it was so cool. I knew it was going to be bad when they won because I knew they weren't going you know, because everybody knew that Nazis were going to go, aha, now's our chance. Mm -hmm. um, and that, I think that gets back to something I really want to talk about here in a little while, get you guys' opinion as to um, why John Smith's friend, I don't remember the commander's name, once he learned of John Smith's death, why did he pull back? Why did he? Why did he pull back the uh, attack? Well, I've got an answer for that. But I'd, we'll hold I'd love that. to hear it because yeah. I've been dwelling on that, and I, I, I've come up with an answer, then I discard it. So, what are your thoughts? Well, we'll we'll get to that in a minute. Oh, we hold, will? hold on to okay. yeah. Hold yeah. on I to will, that. I will. Hold um, so, so the the problem I had though with the black communists mm -hmm. is is that. We hadn't seen them, or or that I remember, any reference to them in seasons one through three. True. So True. for me, it would just came out of nowhere, even if it was historically accurate. Now, the one problem I had, I, I loved those characters, by the way. Mm -hmm. And uh, the, the, the woman who stepped up to become the new leader, mm -hmm. um, I adored her. I thought her character arc was so great. She was so strong. It was such a natural progression. Um, but, um, you know, they, the, the, spoiler alert, the uh, communist, the black communist party or rebel, uh, rebellion launches one major attack against San Francisco. And it, and it, but it cripples their entire pipeline of, of fuel up and down the West Coast. And, but it's one attack. Well, it's successful. Yeah. But, but all of a sudden, on a dime, the Japanese throw up their hands and withdraw and, and pull out of the Pacific states. Now, I understand they were looking for an excuse to do that all along because they're waging a war in China. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, in, uh, there was another front that they were fighting, uh, maybe Russia. I, I forget, but you know, there was, there was some other wars happening over in Asia that were sapping their resources and they could, so they needed to pull out to refocus on their homeland. But I just thought that was an awful quick turn and an mm. awful quick decision. I, I, they were on the verge of it in the first place, like you pointed out. You're correct. I got the impression that, yeah, we saw the San Francisco attack, but that there were simultaneous attacks all up and down the pipeline. Now, maybe I'm remembering wrong. Um, and I think... No, you're right. It, you're I, right. I, 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 I think it gets back to they read, especially the uh, auctioneer, I can't think of his name, um, read the Jap the emperor correctly. They saw the emperor wanted out. None of it, the generals didn't want to. It's kind of like at the end of World War II in real life, uh, where the generals, after the second bomb, after Nagasaki, they kept wanting to fight. 
we're going to fight. We're going to fight house to house. You know, uh, we're just every single to every man, woman, child's dead. Is how we're going to fight. Is what the general said. And the emperor said, nope, 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 uncle, I, I, I'm stopping it right now. Against the will of the uh, generals, the demands of the generals. And I think that's what we had here. The emperor it was never crazy about this in the first place when they first appeared in like season one briefly, I think it was. The prince and the princess visited uh, San Francisco briefly. Um, they weren't crazy about the occupation. And um, I think they'd been wanting to out and you hit it. They had been, they were spread thin and they were getting their butts kicked by China. And I'm sure half a dozen other enemy nations that they were trying to take on. Well, and, and they, they knew. Were cut, they cut the loss. Well, uh, and they knew that, that they were, uh, you know, weakened and a target for the Nazis. They knew that the Nazis were going to eventually come after them on the West Coast. Mm-hmm. The only thing they knew that would save Japan, and they, it would be that they, you know, well, they had nuclear weapons, and they knew that nobody was going to ultimately attack the homeland. But um, you notice at the end he said, we'll leave if you promise to keep the oil flowing. Because remember, that was what got them into the war with us in the first place. It's FDR's embargo um, of Japan, oil embargo. And they needed oil to maintain the ongoing war with China. Um, So that war had been dragging on with China. Wow. And the TV show would have been 15 years at least. They had to have been worn down. Uh, and China had so many bodies they could throw at them. You know, they, they couldn't kill them fast enough. Yeah. Uh, Larry, let me just intersect. Intersect. What's mm-hmm. wrong with me? Let me just in, interject here. Um, James Bradley wrote an incredible uh, follow up. I think that he was also the, the gentleman who wrote the book uh, Flags of Our Fathers. Um, oh, and the, the, the book Flyboys, a true story of courage is an essential book for everybody who is into World War II history. Um, mm-hmm. it, it, it really gets into the background of how did, how did World War II start with Japan? Mm. How, what is, and, 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 and oil was a huge part of it. Natural mm-hmm. resources was a huge reason why Japan, the, the, the imperial industrial machine was cranking at an unprecedented event. Because the thing is, is that J- Japan sort of saw the writing on the wall. If they, if they were going to survive and if they were going to compete in, 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 a, in the, the global market um, mm-hmm. and, and succeed and eventually win... They had they had to start going after natural resources. They had to start securing natural resources so that they could grow to become an empire, and so mm-hmm. the, and the, they wouldn't get passed over and 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 left in, in the 18th and the 19th centuries, and it, mm-hmm. and it's the it's and it's their aggression that caused FDR to and and the rest of the 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 the, the Eastern global superpowers. To uh, sort of to um, uh, sl- uh, put the brakes 
on their their consumption of resources, which made them more aggression. Their 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 it's their aggression or their perceived aggression that caused the world to say, "Hey, wait a minute! What what are they doing? They're building this huge military industrial complex. We have to stop them." And, and so they they did these, like you said, these oil embargoes. And then Japan had said, "Look at what look at what the Eastern world is doing. They're they're they're, they're trying to stop us. They're they're prejudiced. They're bigoted. They're biased against us. We have to get more aggressive." And mm-hmm. it, it was and then it was the snowball effect that led to Pearl Harbor. Um, oh, I'll, I completely I mean I completely agree yeah. with everything you're saying. Yeah. Okay. It, but it is everything you're yeah. saying. But they're goal for attacking us was to free up the oil absolutely uh and uh and exactly right that is exactly why fdr did the embargo you're spot on that's why he uh, sent clandestine marines to uh fly airplanes for the chinese which is how we got the flying tigers who were in the midst of it long before we got involved um so no I hear you. You're spot on. I didn't want to imply that FDR right. was wrong, but the motivation for for Japan to attack us, besides the fact that they thought they should have owned Hawaii, being a Polynesian island, um, they really did not want to take over the U.S. And I, that was it was an occupation they didn't want in the first place. And I think they had a feeling we won't be able to hold this. Um, and that's why I think that yeah. it, it after about 15, almost over, what was it? This is 63. They won 46, not quite 20 years. Um, they had says they were spread thin and they were starting to pull back. I suspect, you know, five years later, they probably would have pulled out of China and probably would have been isolated back to, uh, back to the mainland, uh, in five years, they were on the, you know, they were backtracking. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, that's an interesting sounding book, Eric. I really would you repeat the name of that again for us and uh, for I for listeners. And I, I I sure will as soon as I I reopen that window that I just closed for you. <laughs> it's called Flyboys: A True Story of Courage by James Bradley, uh, and just a little um, little. Uh, little burl over here this acclaimed bestseller brilliantly illustrates a hidden p- piece of world war ii history as it tells the harrowing true story of nine american airmen shot down in the pacific one of them george herbert walker bush was miraculously mm. rescued what happened to the other eight remained a secret for almost 60 years after the war mm. american and japanese governments conspired to covering up the shocking truth not even families of the airmen were informed of what happened to their sons. Their fate remained a mystery until now. It is. Wow. It has a lot of background information, and and it gets it really gets into the mentality of the Japanese and how they did what they did, and 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 their their entire mindset, as it were. Um, I think it, it's an important book for everybody who is into World War II history to read. Just as important is his um, his other book or his first book on this topic, Flag of Our Fathers. These are like two books. Oh. I, I read mm-hmm. these two books back to back, and I th- and I thought that they were just, I thought they were incredible, and it really gave me a much greater appreciation. Um, uh, 
for the sacrifices that American servicemen and women made during that time. And I feel like we forgot John. John, this is this John. This has been Diesel Bunk Book Club. Um, would you like to share a book? <laughs> would you do you have a book you'd like to share with the book well, club? Well, well, no. But while you guys were talking about that, I looked up the uh, actress uh, Frances Turner. She's the one who played Belle Mallory, who was uh, mm. who who became the leader of the Black Communist yep. uh, Revolution. Um, phenomenal character, and uh, loved her. And one thing. Uh, that I wanted to uh, kind of point out that I thought was very interesting. So, um, you know, Inspector Keto really becomes a hero in my eyes. Um, I really came to respect his character and really um, was found myself cheering for him. Um, but what was really interesting is the Japanese pull out of San Francisco. They pull out of the West Coast, and it leaves – this vacuum, you know, yes, they're, they're, they're going to, uh, seed the territory to who basically whoever can claim it. Um, and you know, the black communists have, have, you know, kind of created this, this environment, but they haven't taken power yet. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're, they're trying to figure that out. And in the vacuum of the Japanese leaving, all of this racial tension mm-hmm. comes comes flooding back in. And, you know, we see these white nationalists now mm-hmm. who are hunting down what they call the pawns, the Japanese. Mm-hmm. Um, and not only that, but um, clashing with the, the, the black communists. And at one point, they string up Keto to hang him. And um, I think it's Le- his name is Leon, the character Leon, or Elijah. No, it's Elijah. Um, he, he, you know, knocks them out of the way and cuts Keto down. He says, there won't be no hangings, not on our watch, mm-hmm. which I thought was so poignant and profound that, you know, here, here in this alternate history, this oppressed people – this marginalized people, they are now being handed the the reins of leadership and they are pledging not to make the same mistakes and not to treat other people the way that they were treated. And I thought that was really beautiful. I thought that was powerful as well. I agree. Um, I agree. Is um, I think that one of the really most important aspects of the entire season not just this season, but um, Juliana Crane as as a character and the actress. Yes. And I'm going to and I um, Alexa Dalvaros, um, I, yep. I think that she, I think that she is a, a phenomenal character. Um, and, and I just want to also interject here. There's something there's something about her. That and I'm not sure if it, I'm not sure if it, it was the makeup artist or or whoever. She really sort of looked like she aged t- like ten years throughout the series because of all the things that she had gone through. Um, mm-hmm. I looked at some other recent pictures of her, and she doesn't look that much different than she did when in in, in season one in some of the promotional pictures. But there's something about her in this season that looks very weathered and worn down. 
she served as the audience advocate who is the one who we sort of looked at as she's the one who's kind of asking the questions that the audience would have would like to have answered she's the like she's well, the yes. one we saw through her like this is this is the alternate world this is the alternate reality if uh the allies lost and she's the one who um through her we see the first the first movie that came across from an alternate dimension she's the that we know of that we see and she's the one who says this it, it doesn't have to be like this the reality does not have to be this there was there's an other way and it and juliana crane is really the sort of like the catalyst for change throughout all of these seasons um well you you, you know her her real i think turning point moment was in season 3 when yeah. she slit joe's throat um and and you know basically she made a commitment at that time that she was going to do whatever it takes not only to survive but to you know make that change and you know I, I, I found it very interesting that, you know, she escapes at the end of season three by traveling to another reality where the allies won, um, immersing herself in that lifestyle for a full year, becoming close once again with the Smith family. Uh, she and Helen are close friends. Right. Uh, Thomas is one of her students in the dojo. Um, and I got the impression, maybe even a co-teacher, uh, in the dojo. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, she, what, what I found interesting was that she chose rather than to stay there and protect what she had created for herself in that reality, when it, when it was threatened, she chose to go back to her prime reality and change that instead. I don't think a lot of people would make that choice. I know she was being attacked, you know, across dimensions, but, and maybe she felt like she could never be safe unless she, I think she even said it, unless she kills John Smith. Um, but she becomes once again, just like Belle Mallory on the West coast, uh, Juliana Crane becomes the resistance leader in the Nazi in the in the Reich, and um, that's why they had to age her. They they had to give her gravitas. They yeah. had to give her that seriousness. They had to make her look tough enough to lead these guerrilla soldiers to bring down the Reich. Yeah, and. I think that which the decision that she made was a difficult one. And yet at the same time, this is going to, and this is going to sound crazy from me. Uh, um, Cause I'm, I'm, I want to, I want to talk just for a minute, a little, a little bit for a minute about um, our reality in corporate America. 
I think that Man in the High Castle is probably one of the most important television shows in the past 10 years. And it really replaced in my heart the place, replaced Battlestar Galactica, the, the Ron Moore reboot, because that really sort of captured my imagination while it was on. And it's hard to imagine that it's been 10 years since the finale of, of, of that show. The, the thing about it is that it was great drama and it really sort of, and I'm talking about both Battlestar Galactica and Man in the High Castle. Both of these TV shows really tackled very difficult, dark topics that mainstream television would not have touched unless it was maybe on something like AMC or one of the other cable networks. Um, there's a lot of things that they could have done with Man in the High Castle, and I really felt as if they 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 really they did a great job um, tying up all the loose ends and telling a lot of the stories. I think that they crammed two seasons of story into one season. But one of the things that I really wish that they had spent a lot of more time on is uh, Nazis from their dimension crossing into other dimensions wreaking havoc. And people hunting down, in our reality, hunting down those Nazis and, and trying to prevent them from destroying our reality or infiltrating our reality. And I think that there's a, there's a lot of metaphors that were going on. There's a lot of things that they were trying to tell us about modern society and modern politics that I, I, I it wasn't overtly over the head. They weren't beating you to death with it. And, and I think that they did an okay job not prostatizing their point of view or evangelizing their point of view or trying to like make allegories to what's going on in, in, the, in the world today. And I, and, I, oh, and I know I'm stepping into it by saying that. Um, but I think that it's like, I think that they missed an opportunity in future seasons to talk about some other other issues that that we have especially when it comes to the the idea of science and and technology and moving too far and too fast and 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 surveillance state i also felt like they were going to make a big huge statement with their with the nazis alternate realities j edgar hoover I felt that they were really going somewhere with that. And and it just well, it turned out to be just a plot point for just the finale. Um Well, so so I think you're on to something here. I think you are correct. I think there I think this story probably was plotted out yeah. for five seasons, but they had to compress everything into this yeah. final season because one of the really disappointing aspects for me was that, um, you know, you had Smith at the portal, um, that scene where he's meeting with the scientist and they go into that room and he shows him the map, the map of reality. Yeah. That was mind boggling. Yeah. And he just kind of throws it away as, yeah, you know, here's us and here's all the other branching realities. And, you know, someday we will invade them and control them all. We visited th this many and blah, blah, blah. Yep. 
And then it was forgotten. They didn't touch on that again, really at all, until the final episode. And even then, it was only from the aspect of Juliana Crane and uh, Wyatt, um, uh, Wyatt Price, leading that team to, in an effort to destroy the portal. But um, we'll talk about what happened instead in a minute. But, uh, you know, I felt really disappointed that they didn't go more into the the dimension travel. And, uh, you know, we talked about this on the uh, live video podcast a couple of weeks ago with Corey and uh, uh, Dark Soul, Robert, um, how initially I thought it wasn't just a dimensional jump, but there was also maybe some time travel elements. And then as, as we were talking through it, I realized that <laughs> – in this reality where the Nazis won, of course it seems like there was time travel because aesthetics stopped, right? Yeah. It's what we talk about in Diesel Punk all the time. The visual aesthetics, the, the style aesthetics stopped progressing. So when uh, Tagomi in, I think it was season two, when he jumps into, let's just say, our reality, right. it seems like he moves forward in time. Because in that reality where the Allies won, style and aesthetic progressed. Right. But it was the same time period. So um, I, I would have loved to have seen more glimpses of that. I would have loved to have seen more glimpses of other realities where the Nazis won and maybe where it had gone differently. Right. You know, what what happens when when this Nazi force invades another reality where the other Nazi force has won. Yeah. And now they're clashing. So there was there's a lot of rich storytelling that could have happened that just they ran out of time for. Well, I think I mean, all that would have been intriguing. I agree. Uh, and I guess the geeky side of me really goes, ooh, that sounds like fun. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but from a storytelling, because remember, it's. When all is said and done, it's really about the characters. You know, we geeks kind of get caught up in, right. you know, the right, techno babble right. and, uh, and the cool spaceships flying and zooming and right. stuff like that. And we've, we miss the core, which is the, the human storytelling. Well, it, it, um, so I hear serious. you, man. I hear you. And you've been yeah. kind of cool. I kind of like the fact that, yeah, they throw in occasional cool, weird Nazi idea of, uh, well, like the rocket train, okay? Yep. Uh, that, which was based on some reality because the Soviets built something, a monstrosity that kind of looked a little bit like that. Um, everything was built, all the technology was built for keeping the empire, but that's another issue. Um, you made a good point about something, Johnny, about culture and art advancing and how it stagnated in the Nazi system. Um, remember when Helen had to read that big giant book about yes. architecture? And her uh, aide said, oh, architecture? And she said, architecture is not just about buildings. And that was the Nazi framework. Yeah. Everything... Advanced the Nazi idea. Everything. They were real totalitarians. They had the true sense of the word. Right. Uh, as in total 
Um, and when you have that type of mindset and the squelching of it and a lack of intellectual and artistic freedom, you're not you're going to get you're going to see exactly what you pointed out, which is a great observation. It's stagnated. Artistic freedom is dependent upon the liberty of the artist. And the Nazis were going to make real sure there was no liberty of the artist because it was totalitarian and all art had to serve the state. So it, well, it stagnated. So, yeah, well, that's a good observation. Well, and, and also about that, you know, I, I get why they didn't delve into the sci-fi as much because you're right. It is a story about the characters and the entire series from the first frame to the final frame is really a story about Juliana Crane and her hero's journey. The, the entire story is Joseph Campbell's classic hero's journey. The first face we meet in season one was Juliana Crane. Mm. And the final face we see in season four is Juliana Crane. Yeah. Mm. And, and, you know, in that hero's journey, you meet an unlikely hero who goes on a, a, a journey of discovery, uh, leaves home, uh, and that she did that. She left San Francisco. She fled to the Reich. She sought sanctuary. Then she literally, you know, travels to another world. Um, along the way, she meets the mysterious stranger or the mentor who was Tagomi. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know, there's the the demontage, de the the climax, uh, where where the the hero wins the day, and then there's a new status quo, and we we see that throughout Julia Juliana Crane all throughout this series, and then each of the characters have their own, you know, hero's journey. Like we were talking about, uh, Bell Mallory, um, you know, Wyatt Price. You know, you think about Wyatt Price played by James O'Mara, who has become one of my favorite actors, by mm-hmm. the way. Um, you know, he was he was a smuggler. He was the Han Solo of this story. And uh, by the end of season four, he is the the field general that Han Solo became. And, you know, he is he is all in. He is willing to lay down his life for the cause. And um but at the end of the day, and, and you know, Keto, he has that hero's journey. But at the end of the day, it's really all Juliana Crane's ultimate story because she is the catalyst um, and she is the hero in this this uh, series, which was a little bit frustrating for me in earlier seasons because I really didn't pick up on that until this final season Mm. because there were so many subplots going on and so many things interweaving and all along in seasons one through three up until that moment and well even maybe a little bit after she uh she killed joe i just felt like juliana crane made really bad decisions consistently um and I, I just I kept shaking my head at her going, you're so stupid. And and I felt the same way about Frank Frick. He he did make stupid decisions. Um, but, um, you know, at the end of the day, 
those those bad decisions that Juliana made, you know, made her who she would become. Does that make sense? It really it does. does. It does. It, it, there's a there's, I think there's a there's a lot of things. Um. There's a lot of things about this 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 series that reminded me of a lot of other great series. I already mentioned Battlestar Galactica. One of the things that had also um, uh, came to mind while watching this was the X-Files. And I didn't realize it until just a second ago because the, the name Frank uh, um, uh, Spotitz, Spotnitz is uh, one of the script writers for both uh, the X-Files and Man in the High Castle. And there really was that sort of sensibility to the, to the show. And uh, there is this sort of this sort of like this what if what if the what if this thing is reality what if the what if the worst actually happens there's a there's a lot there were a lot of threads that I thought that were sort of like interconnected and one of the things that the X Files did sort of talk about you know on a couple of episodes is like alternate reality clashing with our reality and the whole notion of like which which is the real reality. Which is which is which is the correct timeline, and this is also something that, and I th- I think Larry, you had mentioned that you had also read the original book ages ago, yeah. Man in the High Castle, and mm-hmm. uh, one of the things that I appreciate about this show is that it is it is very different from the book. There, it did diverge somewhere I think in in in, in season two. Um, oh, it, it it diverged the moment they showed John Smith, um, because he wasn't even the character in the book. Okay, um, it all takes place in the Pacific States. Yeah, there's a few Nazis at the embassy, and uh, the trade minister has a, a a shootout with them at one point. Other than that, the Nazis have little or no. Uh, role in the novel or novella it was so small right um and it's all pacific states it really wore was more because philip k dick was really into eastern mysticism at the time and it was really more of a means from by which he could share his thoughts about the I Ching and those type of subjects then i uh, then i think it was really about speculation about the uh, ocup- about any potential occupation yeah. uh, of Western North America, um, and that's that's I think if, if you read the book, it's really all, more about that uh, than it is about what we think of. Um, so anyway, but yeah, uh, very different. You're absolutely right. They are, I mean, night and day. Yeah, night and day. But you know what? You couldn't have made a series out of the book. You know that'd be like what? Uh, making three movies out of The Hobbit. I mean, who would do that? <laughs> I mean, hey, you know. Uh, <laughs> no, really. Who would do? Who would be? Who would be so stupid as to try and make three books out of The Hobbit? You're right, Larry. You know. Yeah. 
okay, you know. Yeah. Um, I mean, what, what's what's what, what's going to happen next? Uh, David Lynch is going to going to make a a two hour movie out of Dune. I think that the consensus between the three of us, and if I'm wrong, you tell me. This was an awesome series. It was. It's probably one of the best TV series that's come along in a long time. Maybe even one of the best. But this season was far too rushed, and there were a, there was a lot of potential that they sort of left. They could have explored in another season or two. Well, so so let's kind of pick back up on that. So, um, you know, we, we've touched on Inspector Keto, Juliana Crane. Um, there are a lot of characters throughout here, but, you know, for me, up until this season, the character I was most interested in following was John Smith. Right. Um, who uh, had, you know, when we first meet him, he's Uber Gruppenführer. Are you impressed, Larry? I learned how to pronounce hey, it. Hey, not bad. And then he became Reich Marshal and then Reich Fuhrer. And now in this season, spoiler alert, I knew all along that eventually he would succeed Himmler. That was the natural course that this story was taking. What I didn't expect is how it would come about and how it would happen. So in that year time jump, his wife, Helen, has basically been exiled to the neutral zone. She, she's escaped to the neutral zone, but John Smith allows it um, so that she can get space or keep her head straight or whatever. But he's stationed SS, a, a, a squadron of SS guards around that ranch. So they're never out of his purview. Um, and, but her exile, self-imposed exile is causing him problems at home. And we learn that everyone in Germany knows that he's having problems with his wife. He's having problems with his kids. Um, there's one point in, in this story where, you know, you really feel for Helen, she's escaped and now she's pulled back in for the sake of her children. But you know, she does what she thinks is the right thing to protect her husband, making an appearance on television. And I was just smiling at that 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 piece and just thinking, wow, that what what a great moment for her. Um, and you know, one of his daughters uh, is sympathizing with the rebellion and questioning the Reich. And he's under all of this scrutiny and all of this pressure. And finally, Himmler summons him to Berlin. Doesn't invite him, summons him. And they're going to meet about what to do about the Western Pacific states and how they can conquer it and take it over. And it's really... That, that, that's kind of like their side agenda. Himmler's real agenda is to is to get rid of Smith because he sees Smith as a problem, even though Smith would be the key to them taking over the Pacific states. And in episode nine, spoiler alert, John Smith makes a deal 
with the uh, uh, was it Rice Marshall? Um, I forget his name, but um, and basically they make a deal and assassinate Himmler and the entire cabinet in one fell swoop. Yep. And uh, and uh, John Smith is given complete autonomy over the uh, the Reich, uh, the the United States of the whatever the United Reich states, whatever they call it. That's at the end of episode nine, and and I was my jaw was on the floor, right? Because I really didn't see that coming, but it showed again how cunning, how smart. John Smith really was. And once again, his enemies have underestimated him Sounds familiar. and they've paid for it with their lives. But here's where I really thought things would go in a different direction when we hit episode 10. You remember uh, Smith's second in command who uh, he becomes Reich Marshal when John, or I guess, yeah, Reich Marshal when, when Smith becomes Reichsfuhrer um, in episode nine, he says to Smith, listen, John, why are you going to Berlin? The, The Japanese have left all of these nuclear weapons here. We seize control of them. We are a new superpower. We can overthrow Germany. We can overthrow Berlin and take our country back. This is a senior officer in the Reich saying this. And you remember Smith is like, uh, you could go to prison just for saying that. Yep. So let's keep that between you and I. And, and you know, you, but you got the feeling that, especially through the flashbacks that Larry mentioned in episode 10, that John Smith was never really on board with the Reich, that he was – he was fulfilling a duty to his family and doing what he thought it took to advance himself to protect his family until he's elevated to Reichsfuhrer of the, of the uh, American occupation. And there's a dramatic turn in his demeanor and he I swear it was like that resistance to what had been going on vanished and he suddenly embraced the Reich to the point that he was willing to execute millions of blacks, Jews, American Indians, Japanese and others that lived in the Pacific States. Mm. And and you'll remember his his friend, and I, I wish I could rem- find his name, and it's just escaping me. But uh, you know, Reich Marshall, he he tells him, John, whatever you do, I will follow you. And and he's willing, even though he's had thoughts of you know seizing nuclear weapons, overthrowing Germany, even after all of that, when Smith is promoted, he's now the supreme leader of the American states. He's willing to follow him and follow his orders until he doesn't have to anymore. Mm. And of course, I am talking about what took me by complete surprise, guys. 
I really thought that this series would end with John Smith going through the portal and living happily ever after in an alternate reality yeah, and too. leaving the Reich behind him. Oh, really? I honestly That's believe what that I too. thought yeah. the ultimate uh, end would be. Um, and episode 10 took that in a sharp turn <laughs> left. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Uh, because he does escape. Well, spoiler he, alert. Yeah, he escapes by the killing same way, himself. The same way Hitler did. Yeah. 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 He uh, blows his brains out on the ridge, and the word comes down to uh, Reich Marshall, who is now Reich Fuhrer. He's got a field promotion yep. with the death of John Smith. Hey, John Smith is dead, and you see him take off the yeah. Iron Cross from his tie and lay it on the table, and he calls off the airstrike because now... The airstrike in San Francisco. Yeah, let's make sure that we... That's right. Yeah, the the, the airstrike in San Francisco. Um, But but what... John, I'm sorry. Why did he call it off? I I, I saw it. Don't get me wrong. But what was his reasoning not to follow through? Because now he could own all of North America. But Why why stop it? Because he he wasn't a believer in the Reich. Yeah, he he was just he was just following along, same reason Smith was, and his loyalty was to John Smith, not to the Reich. Yeah, but they were and, they were no longer under the Reich; they had autonomy. Uh, but, but but John Smith was going to to execute. He was going to destroy the yeah. Pacific states. He was going to be the cause of the death of millions. Of people, and you saw it bring Helen to her knees. She couldn't believe that her husband would do something so atrocious. Mm-hmm. And 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 I'm telling you, yeah, uh, Reich Marshall was never on board with this plan. And the minute that he didn't have to be on board with it, he reversed course. It's sort of like the American Nazis woke up and realized this isn't who we are. This isn't who we are. We don't. We don't. We don't. We don't bomb our our own cities into submission here. This isn't. This isn't democracy. This isn't isn't what America believed in. And the and the and the idea that the American flag. This I thought was important. The American flag was considered contraband in certain parts yeah. of this alternate reality. Yeah, on right. the East Coast and on the West Coast. When the the black communists in San Francisco wanted to look for a, a, a symbol to rally behind, somebody had found an old American flag, and some of the blacks were saying, "Look, no, that 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 flag's not done anything for me and my ancestors." And the and and the leader of the black communists had said, "Listen, we need a symbol to get the former Nazis." to join us in our cause and remind them who they used to be. I thought that was a very powerful moment. Um, uh, yeah, that uh, was. I agree. Um, I would agree with that. Yes. And, and for, I mean, but for me, Larry, I agree with you on the, the point of why did they turn on, why did they stop the airstrike on San Francisco as soon as John Smith died? For me, that's more evidence of the fact that um, they really had to sort of wrap the series up and kind of put like a ha- a, a happy face on the final season because you, you this this entire series was really dark, 
it it really went places that really shined a really ugly light on all of us and what could have happened um if if we're not careful i and, and i and i mean that sincerely and i mean that and i mean that with love when i say that the series really shined a light on aspects of ourselves that i wish didn't exist and i'm and i'm happy and i'm sad about it at the same time but there's a lot of things I really, and I mean this, and I'm adamant about this. The one thing that I am really disappointed about with this show is mm-hmm. that it seemed way too rushed and they had so much material for another season. And they had they have so much material for another spinoff series with like a team of people in our reality in the 1960s fighting off a Nazi invasion from that other reality. There's so much material there. Um, I really sort of like, I hate to be a Debbie Downer. I really think that they missed uh, a lot of great opportunities with this show. I I don't think they had much choice. I bet it was, you know, (laughs) I heard somebody once say about a different show that uh, they ended it so fast. It was like like a show on C. David that just got canceled. Um, and I wonder if that's exactly what happened. Amazon may have simply pulled the plug and said, hey, you guys are expensive. We want to make more stuff. And, uh, oh, by the way, y'all need to wrap it up because this is going to be season four. Of the now, um, that being said, four seasons have kind of gotten to be the new standard. You know, the way Star Trek originally, you know, set seven seasons to be the new standard for a while there. That was the, set, that was the standard with uh, Next Generation and everything that followed ending on seven seasons. Then you mentioned Battlestar Galactica. Right. But it only went four seasons because they wanted to end while they were high. Okay, they wanted right. to end on a high note. Um, and a lot of shows now seem to have a three to four season story arc to it. We never meant it to go beyond four seasons. That seems to be that they're worried it's going to jump to shark if they go on too far. Well, uh, I, I personally like supernatural like that. that keeps on going like the ever ready bunny. Right. Uh, yeah. Supernatural is on season 14. And, and, you know, for me, I want a finite season or series. I want it to end with ha- and have a definite ending. I don't want this series to go on forever and ever and ever. Um, because you grow tired of it, you, right. you tune out, you, you feel like, oh, I can miss it and whatnot. That having a short series, three or four seasons, makes it must-see TV. You don't want to miss anything. And I, I agree with you, uh, uh, Eric, that it did seem a little bit rushed, especially episode 10. Uh, let, let's think about this for a minute. In episode 10, not only does John Smith commit suicide, Helen dies in the train wreck. And that was almost a throwaway death. Mm. Like, it just happened. He he mourns for half a second and then starts running to save his own life from the rebellion led by Juliana and Wyatt Price. But, but Larry, I want to know your theory about why Reich Marshall called off the airstrike. I honestly... I only, I've been trying to rationalize why he did. Uh, one thought came to mind is that 
he was just tired of tired. He had uh, all the Nazi hierarchy was gone. Now his best friend was dead. And he just, he really wasn't, like you said, he was never really a Nazi per se. He was just, uh, that was the, uh, he was, you know, he was, he thought himself a patriot, uh, American patriot, he thought. And that he just wanted to end it, end the bloodshed. That's the best I can come up with. I think it's, I think it's a, I, well, I think Eric hit upon it. There was something. Oh, we gotta. We we don't want to go where this is going. So we're going to come up with a a way of having a happy ending. I would have liked to seen him and and uh, John have a conversation and it go, you know, and he'll express that he didn't think they should attack the West Coast. Well, but that see, I, I think that would have been perfect if he had said, "You know, do you really think we should do this?" I, well, I, I think, think that conversation do, did happen. I, we, huh? I think that conversation did happen, it, but it was all in the subtext of their earlier conversation when when he said, "Listen, we can become a superpower, and we can." fight against Berlin. We can get them out of our country and be one nation again. Yeah, I think he said all of that. Now, I think he said, and I have to watch it again, I thought he said, we have nuclear weapons. We could be a superpower yeah. if all you have to say is we're it and they can't do anything to us because right. we have we have I was thinking that the Nazis were so assured of their of their conquering of North America, and they wanted to make sure that they could nuke the Japanese if they wanted to, that they had the gall to place nuclear weapons in North America. Maybe they whether they were ICBMs, whether they were bombers, whatever well, they were. Don't, uh, but they, don't you remember that that Keto? told Smith that they were leaving all of their nuclear resources in America. The Japanese are the ones who had the nukes. Well, he asked, what are you going to do with the nuclear weapons? And I thought, it's just the opposite. They said, <laughs> we're going to secure those. Uh, wow, now i got to watch it all. Watch that over again. Oh, poor me. Uh, oh, boo-hoo. <laughs> oh, I wish I had... Uh, I wish I had the time to watch well, it all over again. Yeah, yeah, uh, cry for me. Cry I do, me. you know. Um, I here's here's the thing. And speaking about having the time, and this is one of the things that I don't because I mean now now we're quickly approaching an hour and forty minutes into the into this podcast. I think I I think that something has changed in American television. And I think that we've reached the point where there's no going back. I don't think that we could ever go back to the time when there was just three networks and that, like there could never be another like another mash finale where everybody tuned in to watch the final episode of a TV show. I think that that, that time has passed. I don't think that we're ever going to have a TV show that's a communal experience Except, and hear me out on this, I, I think that what, what all of these streaming networks have done is 
is something that's very awesome and it's very scary at the same time. Like, I'm 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 pleased as punched that diesel punks all over the world have watched and enjoyed Man in the High Castle. And um I I really wanted to just watch the final episode and just really enjoy it and kind of mourn the loss of it, sort of. Like really allow myself to digest it and really and really sort of like think about like what <coughs> what did I just watch? But the thing is, is that I went from one day watching the final episode of Man in the High Castle to the next day watching the first three episodes of Disney Plus's The Mandalorian. (laughs) And now The Mandalorian has captured everybody's attention. I wonder if we're reaching a point where there's so much great TV that's on, but we, we don't have the time enough to watch at all. And and the th- and I there's maybe there's a part of me that's like looking for a controversy to talk about. Maybe this is a part of me that's being a little bit of a luddite, saying that we've gone too far too fast. Um, that's because that's that's the other thing that I've been thinking. I mean, I've been thinking about this a lot, at, especially at work. We don't really have the time to digest these great shows that we're seeing because as soon as you got one show ending, as soon as you have like a Game of Thrones ending, now you have an, another episode of of The Walking Dead, which I stopped watching after season three, and and we have all these like big huge. We have the Stranger Things, and then we have Man in the High Castle. Well, but 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 Eric, the way the reason it seems that way is because the model of distribution has changed from weekly episodic releases to everything releasing all at once Mm -hmm. and people feeling like they have to invest all of this block of time all at once to an entire series or an entire season. That's why I love what The Mandalorian is doing and Disney Plus is committing to doing this with all of their series. They're going to release them one a week and on different nights of the week. It's back to old broadcast TV where you had specific shows that you watched on specific nights. And I like that. Right. But um, but one thing I want to bring up here before we before we run out of time, and and that is something you said, Eric, where you felt like they rushed the end of the season in episode 10 and that they had to wrap everything up in a happy ending. And I'm going to submit to you, there was no happy ending in this series. And here's why I say that. Because just because uh, Smith is dead and there's a new Reich Marshal doesn't mean the struggle is over. Uh-uh. There, There's a new war with Germany about to happen at the end of this season. Uh-huh. Not only that, but what left me scratching my head is the new status quo also includes all of these travelers Mm -hmm. coming through that portal into this world. And they're, they're, they're painting it. Like it's this big hopeful moment. Like, Oh, look at all of these travelers coming to join us. What are they coming to join a dystopian nightmare? Why is this a good thing? I, yeah. And, And the series really leaves you, having to answer all of these questions for yourself, which I kind of like. Right. I like it when shows do that and make you think and make you write the ending for yourself. But there's no happy ending in this series. 
Now, one thing about that ending with the uh, with all these people that coming out, you know, um, and Hawthorne walking, say, uh, he, they kind of imply those are all the dead coming back because he gets all excited with his big grin on his face, and he goes like he's going to go off and find his wife. But, not, but he yeah. points out that she was in no they were not together in any other universe only in that universe was his right. wife and he together so but he implies that he's going to go off and he's looking for his wife in the hope that she's going to come out of the light um you know it, it reminded me of the ending of uh, close encounters of the third time yes and they're all the all, they're all coming out of the ufo um <laughs> like wait deja vu all over again um so, but it, uh, no, I thought that was a very weak ending with the portal. Again, it gets back to what Eric said had to have a happy ending. But you still got Nazis run all over America. Uh, just because they don't have a swastika around the necks, it doesn't mean that the Reich Marshal, that his generals are going to go, oh, well, he's not a Nazi anymore. I'm not either. No, they've got all these true believers. Convinced about fascism, and is this going to stop being fascist? Well, one, they don't want to stop because there, a lot of people are going to string them up by the heels uh, the moment that they get a chance. Right? Uh, it's only a totalitarian state that's keeping them under under control. The, you know, um, so no, that'd be suicide. There's so much left open, so much left empty. Um, I, up until that last episode, I was going. This is ending just the way it should. Yeah. And then, at more, not in last episode, last fifteen minutes. Uh, uh, after John Smith died, to me, everything just went to hell. Um, but that was at the very end, though, Larry. That's how. Uh, yeah, it was really, really great to me. Until the very last moment. Now, I admit, I, th I don't know how they could have ended it in a positive way. I mean, it was one of those, you know, blow up, blow up the Death Star again. Uh, it was one of those, how do you destroy an empire? Okay. Um, when you're the only empire. Um, I'm not sure how they could have had a legit satisfying happy or satisfying ending and what we all wanted to see which was the end of nazis right, right. and yeah and and i that that's where they left it open right um but what if what if it had just ended with smith blowing his brains out reich marshall calling off the planes you see the celebration of the black communists in the pacific states you see the kind of the the relief of Juliana Crane and her rebels. And that's the end for me. Mm. Everything with the portal, I, at that point, I was just like, what has happened? And that that's where I think, Eric, your point is on, you know, has merit. That's probably an after effect, something that they had intended for a season five that, you know, just kind of got tacked on at the end. And why did the portal do what it did? Uh, that, I mean, yeah. Yeah, why did, 
why did it reverse itself and come on like, you know, and then all these, again, who were they? And, you know, I'm looking at digitalspy.com said, what if a whole bunch of Nazis come marching through that portal? Um, yeah. Uh, so, you know, you could have a whole new problem. And are these just everyday civilians who got strung up in the first place? Um, and why would they just kind of walk through like, you know, they're walking through Macy's? Or, uh, yeah. yeah. Um, or, That's what I'm saying. There's no happy ending in this series. No. It, 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 I, I, it's like they didn't know how to end it. I, I, we've seen lots of series like that. Movies and TV shows. They didn't know how to end it. And I wonder if they rolled themselves into a corner. And like Eric pointed out, they needed another season or two to come up with an ending. It probably should have been. They had, to, yeah. they, they had to end it somehow. Well, and, and you know, t- 10 episodes, it probably needed to be 13. And I'm not usually one to say that. Yeah. Usually I think that most seasons of TV shows, especially streaming originals, mm-hmm. go on way too long. But mm-hmm. in this case, I, I would have liked to have seen a few more after after event episodes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Uh, who, yeah like, maybe. Yeah, I think that we I, needed to definitely have something definitive to say, you know, who these people were who were coming through the portal like it was the ending of um, uh, uh, Close Encounters. I, I'm not sure if the, the title character, the man in the high castle, I can't remember his name. Larry just mentioned it. I'm drawing a blank. Um, Hawthorne. 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 I, I think Hawthorne had said something to the extent that these are all the people who had who had died from our dimension. Or he had said some, there was a throwaway line, but because of all the background noise, I don't think that I caught it. Um, but there, I, it's, it, it's, I mean, I love the show. I, I genuinely love the show. It was the last five or ten minutes of this show that I thought was, it it was it was rushed and it was really it. I think that it it you know you know you know here's 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 what it also reminds me of. And I don't know if you're old enough to remember V. I don't know if you're old enough to remember <laughs> the NBC show V. Where you had these alien invaders, and it and it was an allegory for Nazis, space Nazis. Oh no, hold on a second, I got to do this. Space Nazis, <laughs> who that's great, who were actually lizards. I, I gotta be, I, I gotta do this again, right? If I'm gonna do it, do it right. Space alien Nazi lizards. Who came and they basically t- took over Earth and started a, a, a holocaust, as it were. And there were a lot of brilliant analogies between the alien invaders and and Nazi Germany. And it was such an awesome premise for a miniseries. And to end to 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 get the aliens to leave, they had to create this toxic red dust that was only toxic. You know, for the for for the um, uh, uh, Nazi space lizards, and 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 the ending of V and with like the and and the and the and the magic lizard girl, the, the magic hybrid lizard girl, 
was able to like grab these the, the, these these two controllers, and she had like this this magic. It was it was Deus Ex Machina Space Lizard Nazis, and it and the ending of it all felt way too rushed. And it was like it's sort of like they suddenly like looked at the watch and they says, "Oh my God, we 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 only have a quarter of a million dollars to end the series quick. We need to come up." And it, it just seemed contrived, as it were. And it's I, this isn't that bad, but I do think that having all those people coming through the portal and not explaining who they were, it was kind of like that. It was like there. It's like what's the most clever thing we can think of. And that's an ambiguous and put it on the screen and ha- and 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 have the Dieselpunk podcast uh, argue about this ad finitum. It seemed like they were a little too clever for themselves. I would like to see them just blow up the portal. I mean, that alone could have been useful. Uh, somehow the portal collapses in on itself or something. I don't know. Um, maybe something that would imply that the real revolution started now that Germany's out of the picture and we are, you know, it's say something like it's just a matter of time or something where, you know, you know, um, you know, Obi-Wan Kenobi, you're our final best hope. Um, something like that that could have ended it, uh, in a sense of, oh, well. It may be a generation, but we're going to win. Uh, something like that. Uh, and I think that could have been a better ending, but, you know, I, 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 that was a great example, V. I, I, I try to block that out of my mind, uh, that, that series. <laughs> well, well, speaking of space alien Nazi lizards, that's exactly the, the, uh, antagonist in the sequel to iron sky the coming race yeah they are alien nazi lizards it comes all full circle back to iron sky (laughs) does it doesn't it always kind of good don't we you know what we ought to have a bell every time somebody mentions iron sky we need to ring a bell so i can take care of that from now on do so do so um so now now we're dancing really close to two hours, guys. <laughs> well, I've I've said all I need to say about Man in High Castle. I actually really loved it. Yep. And I I did like the the way that it left so many things open at the end because I always I always kind of appreciate the the writers leaving something for my imagination to latch on to right it's like the ending of uh you know the setting ending of carnival we don't know what happened to those characters we have to write the endings for ourselves oh sure and there's something in that that i really appreciate actually yeah well that was that was also another case where they got canceled uh thinking that they were going to have a third season and they got told oh by the way guys i know you've already shot the final episode but there ain't gonna be a third season HBO canceled it, uh, pulled the rug out of the rug, out of the feet yeah. uh, on that one. That's why we only have two two seasons, and yeah. it like ends on this kind of a cliffhanger. Right. I, I I in all honesty, I think it's the final it's the final scene 
in the final episode of Man in the High Castle. I think that it, that's the only real, the, the only real genuine problem that I had um, with with the entire series. I think that that's the only really dark blemish on the entire. I thought everything else, everything else, was simply phenomenal. Um, and it was I, but I I think that all those people coming through the portal in the end. And, and 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 leaving it ambiguous, I, I thought it maybe it's just me. I hope I'm not just fishing for something that I, I I'm I'm looking for a reason to to be a, a a downer or be controversial. I ju- I just felt it was just it was just too ambiguous, and it was frustrating. So, um, do we have time for anything else or or I? Well- let me just add one last thing. So um, this past week, I discovered the magic of watching a streaming TV show with subtitles. Uh, episode four, The Mandalorian, I, you, you know, I watched it uh, and then I watched it again for the Rebel Force Radio uh, podcast that I was on uh, on Friday night. And the second time we watched it, we watched it with the subtitles. Mm-hmm. And you pick up so much context that you lose mm. the first viewing. So any of you out there who have not watched Man in the High Castle yet, or you're only halfway through it, maybe watch it a second time, but with the subtitles and see if you don't pick up far more context and far more texture than you did the first time. That's all I, I got to say. That's great advice. I, I watch everything with subtitles now. I just, it didn't help losing half, most of my hearing in my right ear. That kind of had something to do yeah. with it. Um, but uh, ever since then, I've been watching everything with subtitles, and I, I just about won't watch anything without them. Yeah. And you're right. There's a lot to Mandalorian, and there's a lot of subtlety in there that, um, yeah. Yeah, that's really good advice, Johnny. I agree. Um, I, I think that one of the things that I, I, I am going to leave this with is that, um, you know, in this, it does come full circle. I don't want to become one of those tox- toxic fans who says, oh, there's too much good stuff on. I don't have enough time. <laughs> oh, oh, I'm miserable because I'm happy. Oh, I need something to be upset about. I, I, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to be that person. Um, but, uh, but here's, here's another thing. And, and, um, uh, it's never been a, it's never been a better time to be a creative person. There's never been a better time in all of human history that I can think of to be a creative person. If you have an idea and you're willing to commit to buying or renting or borrowing the technology to do something, there's there there's no better time to be an artist. There's no better time to be a music or audio producer or a filmmaker what I would really like to see, and maybe this is a challenge to the diesel punk community, I would actually like to see, maybe this is going to tie into uh, Tales from the Flip Side Bar 2. I would actually like to see other people come up with their own ideas for alternate dimensions in the Decoverse. And 
and use the inspiration or maybe the angst of the ending of Man in the High Castle and come up with their own, quote, endings, as it were. And Well, it's funny that you say that because that is going to be the focus of chapter three um, is, you know, the, the different realities that are connected to the nexus of reality and the, the, uh, the effects of changing the timeline and time travel and, you know, dimension hopping. So, yep. Tales from the Decoverse people. Yep. I'm on board. Join the fun. So I, I cannot wait to see what other people have. And the thing is, is it, first of all, I got to get up first thing tomorrow. I got a 12 hour shift tomorrow, tomorrow. And I'm going to be, and, and, and I, and I promise you probably into hour six of my shift tomorrow, I'm going to say, Oh man, I should have said that instead. Oh man. <laughs> so I, um, I do think that cause, uh, it's been too long since the three of us and I miss Daisy. Um, it's, um, I really, we, we got to go back to doing this as a monthly thing, guys. Just, I'm just saying. I'm all on board. Yep. So, um, anyway, Johnny, why don't you take us out? All right. As always, thank you guys for tuning in. And, uh, if you like the show, Make sure you tell two, three hundred of your closest friends and family to come join the fun. And uh, on behalf of Larry Amyet and Eric Fisk, I am John Pika saying swing hard, swing often. We'll catch you on the flip side. Don't forget to check out the Dieselpunk podcast and the Fedora Chronicles wherever you get your podcasts, such as Apple's iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, and more. If you can't find the Diesel Punk Podcast or the Fedora Chronicles Radio Show, wherever you get podcasts, let us know and we'll fix that for you right away. And look for the Diesel Punk Podcast and the Fedora Chronicles on social media, such as Facebook and Twitter. Find us on those platforms and tell us what you thought of our most recent episode. And if we like your comment, we'll read them on the air. This has been a co-production of the Diesel Punk Podcast and the Fedora Chronicles Radio Show with hosts John Pika, Larry Emyet, and myself, Eric Render King Fisk. Our theme song is Royal Flush by All of Music. Copyright 2020, all rights reserved. Keep your chin up and your fedoras on, and thank you for listening.